Well, so much for the big flying saucer reveal. A few weeks back, the Pentagon released its hurried report on the presence of unknown phenomena showing up in restricted airspace near military installations. It didn't tell us much, so now there's a new directive from the Department of Defense to formalize the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force and its mission to synchronize collection, reporting, and analysis on the problem and establish recommendations for securing military test and training ranges. That should all prove to be a very interesting challenge. Hi, everyone. I'm Bill Nordstrom, and welcome to the program today. Being a desert dweller just outside Las Vegas for the past 30 years and and down the road from the infamous Area 51, reports and widespread keen interest in these sightings is not new. Local news covers the subject on a regular basis. Websites with local administrators keep the world up to date on the latest sightings. And of course, then there's this heavy-duty marketing of UFO merchandise in the entertainment capital of the world. Now, let's take a big jump from UFOs to the word most associated with the phenomenon and land on the word apocalyptic, the apocalypse, often a word that refers to the latest cinema version declaring the world's coming to an ugly end, comic books and and video games. That's, of course, the big one these days. Really, though, what, what is an apocalypse? The meaning of the word apocalyptic. What does, what does the Bible say about an apocalypse? In scholarly and academic usage, the term means the unveiling of hidden things. Now, I like that because the Lord holds many, many, many mysteries that the Bible shows to be revealed at his set times. The academic usage of the word apocalypse is used in at least two ways. In a technical sense, the term points to a body of Jewish literature that flourished between the 2nd century B.C. and the 1st century A.D., a time when a a great deal of the Bible was being assembled. The books of Daniel and Revelation are considered very typical of this kind of apocalyptic literature. I would suggest the word apocalyptic, things hidden, mysteries, ominous earth-shattering events, finds its origin all the way back in Genesis. Future occurrences we've discussed on many occasions on the podcast. These were and are events hidden at some level, but ultimately to be revealed. Let's read it. Genesis 3.15. We all should be fairly familiar with this by now. And I'll put enmity. I'm going to put hostility and animosity between you and the woman. God speaking to Satan, letting him know what the future is. And between your seed, Satan, the Nakash, and her seed, the Messiah, Yeshua, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God's saying, although you will appear to be successful in his crucifixion death, he, the Messiah, will live and ultimately be responsible for your demise. Bible scholar Michael Heiser says the wording of Genesis 3.15, though veiled, 
prophecies like this will ultimately move in a messianic direction. That God was not done with humanity yet, that is ruled and reigned through humanity, would have its ultimate outcome that this descendant of Eve, this, this coming Messiah, would settle the score with the devil through the bloodline of the woman. A descendant of Eve would come forth who, in the future, would undo the damage caused by the, the cosmic divine rebel Satan. And the sacred last day's prophetic task of revealing these mysteries to the masses will fall directly on the church, listen, of an apocalyptic character. As Daniel saw it, a people who know their God are strong, doing great exploits, a people of understanding who will instruct many. That's Daniel 11.32. It'll require an organized, technically equipped body to take on this sacred task, to make the vision plain upon the table that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. This is why I believe by the Spirit, I've been given such a burden for a divine shift in our approach to evangelism. Evangelism is all-encompassing. It's not just about preaching to the lost. It is that. It's also about preaching to the choir. It's about the church's upward call to apocalyptic evangelism, a revelation of the hidden mysteries of the kingdom, a last day's preparation that will require the full counsel of God to the churched and the unchurched. We believe the Lord is preparing a church as a, a final demonstration and testimony to men and angels. Yes, I said angels. Unseen realm. A demonstration of the obedience of, of faith destined to have the Spirit's desired effect on Israel and the nations. An urgency of apocalyptic or apostolic character the one sent by the Spirit, the one to whom the Word of God has come. It's one thing to hear the words of God. It's quite another to hear the Word of God in season, in the set times of God. And I believe pastors and teachers will be required to pay close attention to the now Word of the Lord, shifting to a more apocalyptic presentation, revealing bringing clarity to the mysteries, the long-held kingdom secrets now being revealed in a season of global apostolic revival in these last days. As I said recently, we often preach uh, for the absence of criticism instead of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and that kind of proclamation will be insufficient in the context of cancel culture and other social and political decrees coming in the days ahead. Jesus said, and this gospel, this gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then, then the end will come. Now, let me ask a question. Could it be, just could it be, that the Son of God was declaring a church of a divine mandate and anointing of the Holy Spirit arriving at its trusted assignment? 
perhaps even partnering with the two witnesses in Revelation 11 in signs and wonders before Jesus' return? Beloved, I can't prove that, but I believe the inference is enough for us to at least consider it as a distinct possibility. Has it ever occurred to you the all-too-humanistic approach we take to revival and and their short-lived nature may very well be because we've not done what Paul told us to do in the first place? He said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. But listen to this. It's to go to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. Surely that will be the mission of the church in the days preceding the return of the Lord. Remarking on an all-too-humanistic approach to revival and the short-lived nature of such historic awakenings, uh, the Bible teacher John Piper distinguishes these from the last, greatest, and enduring revival that comes, actually comes in rivers of blood. Therefore, the church of the last days is necessarily a martyr church, as its witness is ultimately a martyr witness. So let's let's jump back to the subject we were addressing at the beginning, UFOs. Is there anything relating to these strange sightings that even governments have little or no explanation for that could be paired at any level to familiar apocalyptic scripture? Now, that's a, an interesting article in the Gospel Coalition that I've read recently, a highly respected evangelical publication committed to the publication of the Bible perspective on a range of contemporary issues. But in this article, it says that the, the Orthodox Christian already, already believes in at least one form of intelligent life that exists and, and was not created here on earth. Pointing to angels, the author singles out Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You've made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. And of course, there's Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him, all things were created in heaven and that are on earth. Now listen to this, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Folks, that's the word of God. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Listen, Jesus disarmed the powers of darkness at the cross. Don't ever forget that. Removed them from his presence to be fully revealed, fully revealed at the disclosure of the mystery of iniquity before the Lord's return. We've talked about that in the past. I always like to point to Ephesians chapter uh, chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the, the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Listen to Ephesians 3, verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, the the variegated, many-sided wisdom of the uncreated God of the universe, that it might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. What might that look like? Another factor is our, our perspective on God's sovereignty, the right and power of God to do all that he decides to do. Job 42.2, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. God does, does God have the right to create organized intelligent beings without telling us about them in his word? Well, many Christians would say he does have such a right since he made it clear. My thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. Isaiah 55, 8. This is what we do know. Cosmic events will take place before the Lord's return. It's abundantly clear these, these occurrences will be apocalyptic in nature. The sun, the moon, the stars happen in time and space. Then, the Bible says, then the end will come. If what we hear now or see by means of video from intelligent, highly trained military personnel poses more questions than answers, one thing we can know God created all things, those in heaven and those on earth, and the God of heaven and earth will be responsible for them. Let's pray. Father, all things are of you, through you, and to you. We have confidence in that word because it's from you. All things, whether in heaven or on earth, What we would ask you is that you you keep us from a spirit of fear or trepidation of the things to come. May we have the sufficient knowledge of your word to understand and respond in in godly fashion to the powers of the air while while being a clear voice to a world in disarray and fear. Fill us with your spirit and with your anointing to enable your church, the body of Christ, your body of Christ, to usher in the greatest harvest before your return. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless each and every one of you. Subscribe to the podcast. Pass them on to your friends and your family. And Maranatha, I'm Bill Nordstrom.